Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. All right, well, if you've got a Bible nearby or on your phone, go ahead and go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Book of Galatians chapter 5. While you're getting there, a question for you to consider. Have you ever heard the expression, be true to yourself? Be true to yourself. I would imagine that just about all of us have, uh, at least if we've lived in the U.S. for longer than about five minutes. Uh, Slightly more difficult question, though, do you know where that phrase, that expression comes from? Where it originated, in other words? Believe it or not, it dates all the way back to Shakespeare. It's from his play Hamlet, which I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, in the context of that play, the, the line is delivered by a character named Polonius. So Polonius in the story, if you're unfamiliar, sort of presented as this babbling fool. He offers all sorts of cliches and platitudes, uh, many of which are directly contradictory to each other. Uh, And because of this, and because of who he is in the storyline, he's largely ignored by the other characters in the play. He's the butt of several jokes. Most critics of the play insist that nearly every piece of advice that Polonius offers is anywhere from completely meaningless to obviously wrong. Uh, But the one line that he delivers in the play that Americans have just really latched onto for whatever reason is, in his language, to thine own self be true, or the old English equivalent of be true to yourself. And I don't know about you, but to me, be true to yourself doesn't exactly have the same ring to it once you know that history about it. Let's try another one, though. Uh, How about the phrase or the expression, the heart wants what it wants? The heart wants what it wants. That one's probably not quite as well known, if I had to guess, but still somewhat familiar to us. So a lot of times you'll hear this line delivered in like a Hallmark-style Christmas movie when someone falls in love with someone they shouldn't fall in love with, someone who's not exactly the right choice, is a bit of a troublemaker, a bit rough around the edges, that the person will fall in love with that character, and then they'll say to a friend of theirs when they're talking about that relationship, they'll say, the heart wants what it wants. So I want you to guess where that phrase comes from. Maybe you're appropriately hesitant to guess after what I told you about the last one. Uh, We think that the heart wants what it wants originated with Emily Dickinson, uh, but it flew pretty under the radar at a cultural level until it was popularized by none other than Woody Allen. So here's the story, and and warning, it's even worse than the last one about Polonius. In 1992, Woody Allen famously broke off a relationship with Mia Farrow because of an affair that he was having with her adopted daughter named Sunyi Previn, who he eventually married. Woody Allen was 35 years older than Previn. And when pressed by a journalist about how bizarre and and potentially exploitative that type of relationship was with her, Woody Allen simply uttered the line back to the reporter, the heart wants what it wants. Pretty uncomfortable story, at least for most people. 
uh, that story kind of sours that expression as well. The phrase, the heart wants what it wants. Now, I, I bring all of those up because I think it's sometimes helpful to learn where certain phrases come from, catchphrases come from, especially when they are catchphrases that many in our society tend to live and operate by on a regular basis. And, and of course, where an idea came from doesn't necessarily make it wrong. But at the same time, I don't know of many of us that would throw around cliches like be true to yourself and the heart wants what it wants if it was commonly understood where those cliches came from. But, but I think more importantly, if we claim to follow Jesus, when we hear expressions like be true to yourself and the heart wants what it wants and follow your heart, I think all of those phrases should raise a little bit of an alarm in our minds. Some lights on our internal dashboard should should start to go off because all of those expressions, depending on their context, are anywhere from incompatible with the way of Jesus to diametrically opposed to the way of Jesus. Especially that one that we mentioned, be true to yourself. That one, for a follower of Jesus, should be a dead giveaway. Namely, because Jesus says repeatedly in the Gospels, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. So be, be true to yourself and follow your heart versus deny yourself and follow Jesus. Those are pretty strikingly different mantras to live by kind of diametrically opposed to each other. But to say the least, I think a phrase like deny yourself from the scriptures feels pretty grating on modern ears, in part because of how much we've taken to heart the platitudes that cut in the opposite direction from that. Uh, As ethicist Robert C. Roberts observes, which is a great name, bit repetitive, Robert C. Roberts, who's an ethicist, he put it this way. He said, we have been led to feel that the self is sacrosanct. In other words, it's, it's sacred, it's holy, it's untouchable. We've been led to believe that the self is sacrosanct. Just as in an earlier time, it was thought never fitting to deny God. So now it seems never right to deny oneself. I think that sums it up pretty well, at least from what I've observed in our present society. In today's day and age, in so many ways, the worst thing that you could ever do or be asked to do is deny yourself. So today I want us to talk about all of this. I want to give us some biblical language for this phenomenon and talk about why and how we resist this way of life as followers of Jesus. But before we go there, I I just want to reason with you for a second about these types of mantras, these ways of living. So let's, let's say you stumbled upon this teaching this morning and you're, you're fairly put off by the fact that I'm saying be true to yourself is bad advice. That, that is an understandable resistance and pushback to have, especially given how integrated that mindset is to our modern world. I understand the resistance to thinking that that's bad advice. But if that's you, maybe let's just start here. Even if you don't think that be true to yourself is bad advice, I want to at least start by showing you why I believe it to be unhelpful advice, just unproductive advice. At at best, I think something like be true to yourself is just sort of trite and a little bit meaningless. So uh, allow me to explain with a story. Um, A few weeks ago, I'm standing in line to check out my groceries at Kroger. 
while in line, I am for some reason looking at the variety of celebrity magazines and tabloids that they have available for purchase. Uh, and I'm looking at all of these magazines, and on the cover of one of the magazines is Ryan Gosling, Ken himself, right? And and in the cover, he on the cover photo, he is in full Ken getup, complete with anywhere from eight to six pack abs uh, and, and chiseled pecs. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure some of that is airbrushed for the movie, uh, but it doesn't really look that way on the cover. It looks like he is just the most in shape 43 year old band that I've ever seen. It, it looks like he has defied the laws of nature and gravity to look 27 while being 43. And in that moment, when I see Ryan Gosling on the cover of that magazine, I think to myself what you would expect any noble, sanctified, self-respecting Christian minister to think to themselves. I think I should work out more so that I can look like Ryan Gosling. That sounds mature, right? So I start thinking to myself, uh, I am going to tell my trainer that I no longer want this very reasonable, normal, stay healthy and don't die workout plan that he has me on. I got to get I got to get that stuff out of here. Uh, I want the V shredded Ryan Gosling abs and pecs workout plan from here on out. That's what I want. And as I'm standing in line to check out these groceries, I'm, I'm getting legit excited about this incredible change I'm about to make in my life. Because I've always known deep down that the real me has chiseled abs. I've just known it. And now I'm about to manifest it into existence. And then I look on the other side of the checkout aisle, and there is a family-sized bag of Sour Skittles available. And they look good, like real good. Uh, those that know me well know that I am a sucker for some sour Skittles. I, I basically have the inability to turn them down. So I then look down at my grocery cart to see if I can justify adding the Skittles to my purchases that day. And I see in my grocery cart the following items. Uh, a family-sized bag of Lay's cheddar and sour cream potato chips that I have no intention of sharing with my family at all. I see uh, four blocks of cream cheese so that Anna can make that sausage and cre cream cheese dip for a Vols basketball game that we're about to watch. The dip that's like 92% cream cheese. And I see a large tub of Tillamook ice cream. I see all of that and I start thinking about how excited I am to sit on the couch for the next three hours, watch the Vols play basketball, and enjoy a meal that consists of only sour Skittles, potato chips, sausage dip, and Tillamook ice cream. And I think to myself, you know what? I think those items really make up the real me. I should follow my heart. I, I was made for that kind of Saturday afternoon as a human. So here's my question for you. In that moment, in the grocery store checkout line, if the most important thing in life is that I should always be true to myself, no matter what, exactly which of those two selves should I be true to? Because those are two very different selves, are they not? So it's probably opposite selves, right? So Ryan Gosling did not get eight-pack abs and chiseled pecs by spending his Saturday afternoons the way that I want to spend my Saturday afternoon. Not a chance. He's like spending his Saturday afternoons with his trainer and like a kale smoothie and like a small bowl of low-fat cottage cheese or something. And that's it. So, so in that moment, my question is, which self is the self that I should be true to?
because I've got to pick one and, and I can't pick both of them. And I really, really want both of them. They both feel like the real me in that moment. So I've got a problem on my hands. So, so here's my point with this. Uh, mantras like be true to yourself tend to flat out ignore the inherent complexity of being a human being. They, they ignore that all of us at any given moment are a complex collection of selves whose desires often run contrary to each other in significant sorts of ways. So, so we want to be healthy and we want to eat whatever we want to eat. We, we want to save money and we want to buy all of the things that we want right now. We want peace and absence of conflict at work, and we really want to give our coworker a piece of our mind in the moment. Uh, as parents, I don't know if any of y'all felt this one this week, uh, we want to be intentional and proactive and present with our kids in the moment, and we really want to let them watch four hours of Netflix so that we can just have a moment to breathe. I don't know if you felt that at all when trapped at home this week while schools were out. But I'd be willing to bet that a lot of us feel those types of tensions in our lives. We are all a complex collection of selves with different desires and different priorities at any given moment. So best case scenario, advice like be true to yourself gets you approximately nowhere. At best, it's it's kind of circular, and it just leads right back to the question, okay, which self should I be true to? Best case, it's unproductive and unhelpful advice. And worst case, I think it actually leads us down a path of horrible, self-indulgent decisions that hurt ourselves and hurt others. Uh, this is a bit of an aside, but some of the people I know that have made the biggest mess of their lives have done so in the name of being true to themselves. Some of the people you know have done the same. So, so we can choose to live by mantras, like be true to yourself, but I'm telling you, they are nowhere near as helpful as our society likes to pretend that they are. And that's at least in part because what our society often calls yourself is actually what the scriptures would call the flesh. So if you're new to our church, we're in a teaching series right now all about what we've called the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three things we've said are at, are at the core of just about every obstacle we face in becoming more like Jesus. So we're just spending the month of January talking about what each of those things are, the world, the flesh, and the devil, how they function, and then how to resist them ongoingly as followers of Jesus. So on the docket today is what the Bible calls the flesh. So let me give you a definition. Uh, when the Bible talks about the flesh, at least the majority of the time, it means something like this. And we'll post these in the slides that we post later today with the sermon audio. When the Bible talks about the flesh, it means something like our base human instincts absent the intervention of the spirit, what we desire without God. I'll say that again. Our base human instincts absent the intervention of the Holy Spirit. It is what we desire without God. 
So the flesh is the language that the New Testament authors use to describe the desire to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, without the regard for the impact it will have on me or anyone else in the short or long term. Living that way in the Bible is called living according to the flesh. It's what you and I would do if there was never anything to stop us or give us pause about it. That's what the Bible means when it uses the language of the flesh. Now, it's worth pointing out that while we all like the idea of being able to live however we want, none of us actually want to live in a world where everyone operates that way. So, so a world where everyone does whatever they want is a world rife with, with abuse and coercion and manipulation and assault and sexual assault and labor force exploitation and greed and destroying the environment because it's economically expedient to do so and any number of other things along those lines. Things that come to think of it, we see constantly in our present world. So, so the irony is that none of us actually want a world where everyone lives according to their flesh. That's a pretty terrible world to live in. In many ways, our world is the awful way that it is because the vast majority of people choose to live according to their flesh. None of us actually want to live in that world, which is why the scriptures teach over and over and over again that living according to the flesh is actually no way for people to live at all. So so let's just take a look at one of the places in the Bible, in the New Testament, that teaches that. So if you've got your Bibles open still, this is Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. So notice right off the bat, the scriptures teach that as human beings and as followers of Jesus, we were created to be free. Free. I, th- I think of God's words to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden on day one. He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Free. God created us for freedom. He then sent Jesus later on to recreate us for freedom. Put simply, God's desire for his people is freedom. That, that should sound good to us. It, it does sound good to us. But at the same time, we're going to find out pretty quickly in this passage from Galatians that Paul is defining freedom a good bit differently than the common cultural definitions that we have of it today. So keep reading with me. Second half of verse 13. He says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So there's our word. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in Love. So, so whatever this type of freedom is that Paul is describing, it is decidedly not doing whatever you want to do. It's not that. It, it's not in every scenario following your heart or being true to yourself because he just said that we aren't to use our freedom to indulge the flesh. Instead, he says, this freedom that he's talking about enables us to serve one another humbly in love. That's different than what people today think freedom means, at least a majority of the time. Today, we tend to think that freedom means serving myself and doing whatever I want to do in the moment. But in Paul's view, freedom is for serving others, which which means in a lot of scenarios, it's probably going to involve me intentionally not doing whatever I want to do. Does that make sense? 
So, so freedom for Paul is not doing whatever we want. It's doing what we were created to do. That's what freedom means to him. So he continues for Paul says, here's the reason behind everything he just said. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so if you want to know what the entire purpose of the laws and rules that are laid out in the Bible is, specifically the laws in the Old Testament, if you want to know what God expects and wants from humanity, there it is. Paul just told us exactly what the summary of it all is. Quote, love your neighbor as yourself. Put another way, interact with other people the way that you would want them to interact with you. It's to use Jesus's language from the Gospels to, quote, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which you will notice if you think about it inherently requires a certain level of restraint. So, so this is not the most instinctive way to live. The most instinctive way to live is to treat others in a way that is convenient and expedient and easiest for me to treat them. So, so my instinct is to treat my coworkers in whatever way is easiest for me to treat them. Whatever requires the least amount of effort on my part. My, my instinct is to interact with my spouse in whatever way is most convenient for me, whatever way best serves me and my desires as a result. My instinct as a human being is to interact with my kids in whatever way requires the least amount of effort for me. But to love my neighbor as myself, I have to learn to show some level of restraint, some amount of doing the right thing and not just the easiest thing to do. In other words, I will need to exercise control over my flesh. Otherwise, here's what's happened. Here's what's going to happen. Verse 15, continuing in our passage. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Okay. So real talk right here. It's hard to imagine a better one sentence summary of what is going on in a lot of our country right now in a lot of our world right now than what Paul just said. It's hard to think of a better one-sentence summary of what's happening in a lot of our politics right now, in a lot of our workplaces right now, in a lot of our families and communities and churches right now than what Paul just said in verse 15. Quote, if you bite and devour each other, if you operate with the inability to restrain your flesh and love your neighbor as yourself, that is where it leads being torn down and destroyed by each other. Whether that's destroyed physically, emotionally, spiritually, you name it. That is where that road leads. That is where every community of human beings will end up if they do not find a way to restrain their flesh. So what's the alternative then? That's where Paul actually goes next. Verse 16 in the passage. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did 
before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the signs that a person is being run and governed by their flesh is that some combination of the things Paul just listed out are consistently present in their life. Now, here's what's interesting, I think, about that list. It's about the broadest list of activities that you can imagine, right? Like it runs the whole gamut. He, he mentions sexual immorality and he mentions discord, just your run-of-the-mill disagreeableness. He, he mentions witchcraft and, and he mentions jealousy, simply wanting things that other people have. He, he mentions orgies, which is a word I bet you weren't prepared to hear in this context this morning. And, and then he mentions just factions, just any time that you form cliques and exclude other people from them. I mean, this list and the things on it are about as wide as the sky, right? A person can be really obviously living according to the flesh, witchcraft, orgies, and all, or they can be subtly living according to the flesh, just by being sort of grumpy and difficult to please as a human being. But regardless of which of those things are present in your life and how many of those things are present in your life, Paul drops, drops the hammer on all of it at the very end. He says, quote, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul seems to be saying that if your life is consistently governed by and directed by any of the things on that list, that is a sign that you are living according to the flesh and therefore not walking with the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter how extreme the fruit of it is in your life or how mild the fruit of it seems in your life. It is still the fruit of a life lived according to the flesh. So, Let's just highlight a few of these that Paul mentions in the list. Let's talk about a few of them for fun, I guess, is the right word for that. So first, Paul says that living by the flesh sometimes presents itself in the form of sexual immorality. So biblically speaking, that word sexual immorality refers to any sexual activity or any fantasy with someone that you are not currently married to. Now, I want to be very clear Paul does not mean that you must never struggle with sexual temptation in order to follow Jesus. That's not what he means. Otherwise, we're all pretty much out of the running, right? And if that were the case, a lot of the Bible's instructions elsewhere about God's people resisting sexual temptation would be fairly pointless since none of us would be struggling with that in the first place. So Paul's not saying you can't struggle with sexual temptation, but he is saying that if your life as a follower of Jesus is consistently marked by sexual immorality, if, if you have the inability or the unwillingness to resist sexual immorality in any sort of way, that means you are living according to the flesh, which means you are not a follower of Jesus. I, I do think that is what he's saying. Pa Paul then mentions selfish ambition. So in the original language, that refers to someone who acts only in their own self-interest and for their own gain without regard for the negative impact that it could have on anyone else. So if you only view your life in terms of what is best for you, that is selfish ambition. If you show up at your life group or your community every week and you only ever ask the question internally, what's in this for me? 
Or, or you say things like, well, this group better do and talk about things that I want to do and I want to talk about. That, that's selfish ambition. If you go to work every single day only concerned about your own advancement and your own goals and your own priorities without any regard for the people that you work with, that's selfish ambition. If you consistently live in those sorts of ways, Paul says, you are living according to the flesh, which means you are not a follower of Jesus. So Paul then mentions discord and dissensions in Galatians chapter 5. So with this one, if you're one of those people who just seems to generate conflict and arguments everywhere that you go, if, if drama seems to follow you around from relationship to relationship, friendship to friendship, place to place, and you are the only common denominator in those settings, if it does not take long once you enter into a friendship for conflict to constantly arise in that friendship, if that's you, Paul says, that is a sign that you are living according to the flesh, which means you are not a follower of Jesus. So Paul's point in this list, it seems, is that the flesh can rear its ugly head in a variety of different ways, a variety of different forms, but it all circles back to doing what our base instincts are telling us to do rather than doing what loves and serves and helps others. Anything that grows out of that core instinct, that base instinct, is the flesh, Now, on the contrary, followers of Jesus should be marked by the Spirit. So finish it out with me in the passage, verse 22. We'll read it all the way to the end. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and perhaps most importantly to our discussion today, self-control. In other words, the ability to say no to yourself is the fruit of the Spirit, to your flesh. The ability to say no to your flesh. The ability to live with mastery over it. Second half of verse 23, against such things there is no law. Now notice this next part, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, so starting with the premise of that last verse in Galatians chapter 5, I want to just lay out for you how I think we resist the influence of the flesh as followers of Jesus. So I've got four ideas for you here. We'll go through them fairly quickly. First, in order to resist the influence of the flesh as followers of Jesus, we must crucify the flesh. Crucify that, crucify the flesh. So I'm getting that language verbatim from verse 24 of our passage in Galatians chapter 5. It says, quote, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what does it mean to have your flesh crucified exactly? Here's my stab at it. It means that if you are a follower of Jesus, your flesh is no longer who you are. It's no longer who you are. Paul Paul hits on the same idea earlier in the same book in Galatians chapter 2 when he says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So when you decide to follow Jesus, what happens is that the old you is crucified along with Jesus. In other words, it's killed. It's put to death. The old version of you is dead and gone. As dead as Jesus was on the cross, that's how dead your old self, i.e. your flesh, is to you as a follower of Jesus. It holds no defining power over you any longer. You are a new creation in Jesus. So, and this is where it gets really important for how we relate to our flesh now as followers of Jesus, you no longer have to say yes to your flesh. Your flesh has been defeated on the cross. If, If you say yes to your flesh now, it's never because you have to, it's because you chose to. To, to put it in slightly more familiar terms to us, culturally speaking, uh, let's try this. You hear all the time that you should be true to yourself. I've got a better mantra for us as followers of Jesus, for us to live by as followers of Jesus. Here it is. Be true to your new self. Be true to your new self. The scriptures would say that you and I have multiple selves, as we talked about earlier. Namely, we have an old self and we have a new self. The old self is the one dominated by our flesh. It's the self that sees itself as the center of the known universe. It does whatever it wants to do, whenever it wants to do it. It's the self that only ever thinks about what would feel good, seem good, be good to me right now. That's the old self. And just so we're clear... That self has created more problems for us than anyone else in our life has. I'm not saying other people have not caused significant pain and significant damage in your life, but I am saying that your old self has likely caused more damage. Your flesh has gotten you into more trouble, more uncomfortable situations, more regret, more difficulty, more heartache than anyone else in your life has. So the scriptures would say over and over again, don't be true to that self. That, that self is bad news. That guy, that girl's a mess. Don't, don't be true to them. But the good news is you have another option. Be true to your new self as a follower of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 actually puts it this way. I think this is such helpful language. If you are a follower of Jesus, it says, quote, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a new self. Be true to that self instead. Second tip, Make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. So I'm getting this language from Romans chapter 13, verse 14. It says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh, it says. Since our old self has been crucified to us, Paul says, let's stop making provision for it. If it's not alive anymore, it certainly doesn't need to be fed and entertained, right? In my experience, followers of Jesus spend far too much time making provision for their flesh, allowing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for its flesh to, for their flesh to rear its ugly head. So, so instead, the scriptures would say, Romans 13 would say, cut off its supply. Stop feeding it. Stop entertaining it. So just just to give you a few examples of what this might look like practically. If your flesh is inclined to spend way too many hours of the day engrossed in video games, get rid of your console. 
or, or bare minimum, put some time restrictions on it that you cannot get around. Uh, if your flesh is inclined to look at porn, lock down access to it on your phone. If your flesh is inclined to buy things that you don't need, don't go to the mall or to Target in your spare time and, and get the Amazon app with one-click purchasing off your phone. If your flesh is inclined to run up the balance on your credit cards, have someone you trust review your credit card statements with you each month and hold you accountable for it. If your flesh is inclined to spend way too much time on Instagram or TikTok, delete those apps off your phone. You, you, if you cannot prevent yourself from drinking too much, well, then stop drinking altogether. Now, now, maybe all of that could sound a little bit stifling, a little bit legalistic to you, and maybe it is. But at the same time, I would be willing to bet that the people who take measures like that that you consider legalistic are experiencing more freedom from the flesh than you are right now. Isn't that ironic? Sometimes self-imposed restrictions can actually create freedom in our lives. It's almost like true freedom is not the unhindered ability to do whatever we want in the moment. It's almost like that is fake freedom. It's almost like true freedom is not doing whatever you want to do, but rather what you were created for. And if that's fake freedom then let's make every effort we can to experience true freedom, to realize true freedom in our lives. Let's make no provision for the flesh. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, third thing here, then we'll do one more and then we'll be done. Cultivate life in the spirit. Cultivate life in the spirit is the third point here. I'm getting this back from verse 16 of our passage in Galatians 5. Paul says there, quote, So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. So in some sense, it might be helpful to think about resisting the flesh almost like an outcome of something else. So it's a direct result of actually doing something else entirely. And that, according to Paul, is walking by the spirit which honestly makes a lot of sense to think about it that way if you think about it long at all. So, so if I said to you right now, don't think about elephants, what are pretty much all of us thinking about now? Elephants. And yes, that is a quote from Inception. I think somebody else said it before then. But pretty much all of us are going to think about elephants if we say don't think about elephants. Okay, in a similar way, if all we're ever doing as followers of Jesus is trying not to be controlled by the flesh, what is probably going to be on the forefront of our minds? Our, our flesh, right? If all you ever do is try to say no to the flesh, eventually you'll probably end up saying yes to it. But if you are actively saying yes to something else, something better, I think saying no to the flesh actually becomes easier and easier over time. So, so what if instead of saying to ourselves over and over again, don't give into the flesh, don't give into the flesh, don't give into the flesh, don't give into the flesh. What if instead we started making every effort to live and walk by the guidance of the spirit of God instead? So, so just as some examples here, what if in regards to our sexuality, Instead of asking ourselves, what do I most want to do in this arena of my life? And then let me try really, really hard not to do it. What if instead we started asking the question, what does it look like to reflect and honor Jesus with this arena of my life? 
What if in regards to our money, instead of asking the question, what do I most want to buy with my money? And then trying to submit that to Jesus. What if we actually started instead by asking the question, what does God most want me to do with my money? What does he most want me to do with what he's given me? And really what we've talked about before, what does he most want to do with what he's given me that's actually truly his? What if in regards to our conflict with other people, instead of asking, what do I most want to do or say to this person who is really frustrating to me right now? Instead of asking that, what if we started asking something like, how would God have me treat this person and speak to them on a regular basis? Walk by the Spirit, Paul says, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. In many ways, it's an outcome, by, it's an outcome of keeping in step with the Spirit of God over time. That's how you refuse to give in to your flesh. Finally, last thing here and then we'll be done. Don't fear failure. Don't fear failure. So this one is brief, but it's so very important for us to realize. As followers of Jesus, we do not have to fear failure when it comes to denying our flesh. We don't have to panic when we give into it. Because we have the privilege of knowing that Jesus already perfectly said no to the flesh on our behalf. He refused to take the easy way out. He insisted on putting others ahead of himself. He picked up his cross, he carried it, and he hung on it. And because of that, our trust in him gives us the ability to live the same type of life, to access the same type of life. It gives us the ability to follow in his footsteps to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. His death in our place is what makes that entire way of life available to us. Knowing Jesus and living in a relationship with him is what enables us to learn how to resist the flesh as followers of Jesus. So in the practice guide that we've made available to you on our website, citychurchnox.com, for this series, we have given you a practice to help you learn how to resist the flesh. And that's the practice of fasting. Now, while that might sound a little bit weird, a little bit random, uh, we discussed last year in our formation series that fasting is a very tangible way of saying no to yourself, specifically saying no when you want to eat. Some of us for all hours throughout the day, right? And so what we talked about in our fasting series last year was that by doing that on a regular basis, by participating in fasting on a regular basis. You are basically training yourself to say no to your flesh. You're training yourself to say no, and that's going to help you learn to say no in other arenas of your life as well. So fasting becomes this way of teaching yourself to say no to your flesh and to say yes to God. And there's more info on how that works and why we think it works that way in our practice guide, as well as the teaching that we gave this time last year on how fasting is a form of learning self-control. So all of that is available on our website, citychurchnox.com. What I'm going to do is pray for us, and then I'll check to see if we had any questions that I can speak to before we end the live for today.